Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Okay, so I got the call from the guy who said each test kit can test 500 people. And sure enough, I found the New York Times article. In fact, somebody tweeted it to me. And I should credit who tweeted it to me. Thank you, Galaxy Girl. Appreciate that. And the article is in the New York Times. The headline, Any American Can Now Be Tested for the Coronavirus, Pence Says. It says, when Dr. Hahn was asked to clarify... This is a fellow who testified before the CDC, and this is Stephen Hahn. He's the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, so he's a Trump administration appointee. He said, our expectation in talking to the company, so they're talking about a private manufacturer. Dr. Hahn said at a Senate hearing that the CDC was working with a private manufacturer to drastically increase the testing capacity of laboratories across the nation. He said, our expectation in talking to the company, this scaling this up is that we should have the capacity by the end of the week to have kits available to the laboratories to perform about a million tests. When Dr. Hahn was asked to clarify, he said he was hearing from private manufacturers that 2,500 test kits could be available by the end of the week, each kit capable of 500 tests. Later in the day, Mr. Pence repeated that number to reporters saying the kits amounted to 1.5 million tests. Now, this was on March 4th. Number one, I've not seen this before. Number two, I can tell you for sure that the test kits that are being used in Oregon, each kit tests one person. And, or at least I can tell you that from Oregon Public Broadcasting. And I can tell you that uh, everything that I've read suggests that the test kits that the CDC are providing right now, where like, you know, Kansas has five of them, those test kits are one kit, one person. So, what we have is the uh, Trump administration political appointee saying in a, in a hearing before the House or the Senate that he heard from a private company that they will be offering test kits that can test 500 people. But I see no evidence that those exist. And I'm not uh, all that enthusiastic about believing anything that comes out of the Trump administration. But let's hope. Let's hope it's right. And as private companies start coming into the marketplace with these test kits, then we're going to start getting a more meaningful number of what the actual epidemiology of this disease looks like. But right now, we don't know. 
Deborah in Columbia, Tennessee. Hey, Deborah, what's up? Hi, thank you for providing this platform. I believe in you so much. Well, thank you, Deborah. Um, my question is this test kit or the test has actually been available for a, a, a long time. China seems to be able to test uh, thousands per day. Um, oh, it's more than that, that even. It came out if of they, Germany, yeah. and it came from the WHO. Why yeah. is it that the United States has not gotten tests from the WHO if we have flawed testing and get them out there? It's a damn good question. And it's uh, unfortunately, I'm not hearing the news media ask the Trump-Pence administration about this. Trump held a press conference and they had a lot of opportunities to ask him hard questions. And I think, frankly, it's reached the point where all these reporters are just scared to death of Donald Trump. And they, they did not ask that question. But China has been testing people since December. South Korea has been testing people since January. Why don't we just call them up and order some test kits? I mean, they're making them like, right. like there's no tomorrow. But, yeah, you know, but we're not. Yeah, I think it's widespread already. Yes. Oh, I think it is, too. And, you know, what I was hearing on Oregon Public Broadcasting yesterday was that there was somewhere between the estimate right now in Oregon is there's somewhere between 300 and 1,500 people walking around loose and mostly in Portland who have this disease right now. And if you are in contact with those people, wearing a face mask is not going to help you at all unless they cough right in your face. The biggest problem is going to be that they touch something that you then touch or that they touch and you. And they don't or even you touch know them. it could be airborne. It could be and down the hall. That's you know, that, and you could still. That's that's correct. And, and apparently this virus can live for up to a couple of weeks, certainly for, for many hours and, and certainly a few days on physical surfaces, doorknobs, walls, countertops, the toilet seats, flush handles on toilets. Well, I challenge everybody to call your representative, call your senator, and demand that we get these tests from the WHO. Yeah. Get these things out there. I am with you, Deborah. I am absolutely with you. Thank you very much for the call. And let's start demanding that our media hold the Trump administration accountable. Can you imagine if Barack Obama had shut down the two agencies in the Department of Homeland Security and the National Security Council responsible for epidemic disease and then ordered a giant cut to the CDC's budget and was four months late in rolling out test kits, what would the Republicans be saying right now? This is the Tom Hartman Program. I can tell you what they'd be saying right now. They'd be taking the names of those 11 people who've died so far in the United States, or 12 or whatever it is, and they'd be making us memorize those names along with Obama's. Louise just called me during the break. She had her annual physical this morning. You know, we both had the flu two weeks ago when we were on vacation, and she still has something going on in her lungs. And her doctor, as part of the physical, said, you know, you still have uh, some congestion in your lungs, so we need to get you an inhaler so you can just kind of open that up because the coronavirus is coming, and we want to get you as healthy as possible. You're over 60. And also, she had an ear infection. And so she goes to the pharmacy, and... Uh, we're on Medicare, but uh, the pharmaceuticals are actually paid for by private health insurance co- or by private, yeah, by private insurance companies, for, you know, that just do drugs. And this is Medicare Part D. It's not actually Medicare. Medicare doesn't pay for your drugs. It's a private company, and you have to figure out which private company you want. And so they phoned in her prescription and uh, the, for the for the eardrops, which was like eighty bucks, and the inhaler, which was over a hundred dollars. And the insurance company said, no, we won't pay for it. So the pharmacist said, 
That happens nine times out of 10 with these insurance companies, these for-profit insurance companies, and most people simply leave without the inhaler or without the drops for the infection. And they just hope that they'll get better. And Louise said, well, you know, is there any other way to do this? And so he called the doctor and the pharmacist said, these eardrops are a quinolone drug, uh, Cipro, basically, in a, in a saline solution. And he said, there's an identical product for eyes but more people get it for the eyes, for pink eye and things, than they do for ears. And so the eye one is only like 20 bucks, whereas the ear one is 80 bucks, but it's the exact same thing. But I have to get your doctor's permission to give you eye drops for your ears. So he called the doctor and she said, okay, fine, I'll change the prescription. So that was taken care of. And then there's this you know, $120 inhaler. And you know, what do you do about the inhaler? Well, they, they went on to GoodRx and they found a coupon for another brand of inhaler on an app that was 45 bucks. And uh, again, Louise had to pay for that out of pocket because the insurance company, the for-profit insurance company that administers Medicare Part D wouldn't pay for it. This is just nuts. This is nuts. I mean, you know, we're fortunate in that, you know, we've had a good run in our life and we've made some money here and there and we've got a little bit stashed away and we can afford to spend a hundred bucks for, for pharmaceuticals. I don't think most Americans can. Half of America can't deal with a $400 expense at any point during the year. 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 60% of Americans can't deal with a $1,000 expense. And this is how, you know, this is our healthcare system. This is just crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. By the way, speaking of the coronavirus, this is one of those, uh-oh. And again, I'm not trying to upset or panic anybody. I just think it's really important that we have good information, honest information. Donald Trump was lying through his teeth and everybody knows it, which is why the stock market is still collapsing. But here's this. This is from Reuters, you know, the news agency. This is Dateline Tokyo. A woman working as a tour bus guide in Japan tested positive for the COVID-19 virus for the second time. She's the first person in the country to be reinfected. She had it on February 1st. She was discharged from the hospital after fully recovering and testing negative. And now here we are, February 26th, four weeks later, she got sick again and they tested her and sure enough, it was coronavirus. She got it all over again. And who do we have in charge of our effort to deal with this? Mike Pence, the guy who in 2000 said tobacco doesn't cause, doesn't cause cancer. The guy who, when he was governor of Indiana, and there were 20 cases of HIV being spread by dirty needles in a rural county, said, no, we're not going to have a needle exchange program. That wouldn't be biblical. And 200 people ended up with HIV in that county as a result of Mike Pence doing that. And they didn't know they had it because Mike Pence had cut all funding for Planned Parenthood in Indiana. So the Planned Parenthood clinic, which was the only place you could go to get tested for HIV, was shut down. That's the guy in charge of our coronavirus uh, response. The guy who said that that women he actually got a law passed and didn't, you know, it got challenged in the courts and got stopped. But that said that if women miss their periods, they have to report themselves to the police so that they can monitor whether or not they're going to have an abortion. And if you have a miscarriage, you have to report it to the police and you have to have a funeral. That's Mike Pence. That's the guy who's in charge of coronavirus. This is the Tom Hartman program. Are you a little concerned? I am more about our government, frankly, than about the damn virus. We'll be back. This is 
the Tom Hartman University Book Club. We're reading from Walking Your Blues Away, How to Heal the Mind and Create Emotional Well-Being from Chapter 1, How Trauma Sticks and the Mechanism of PTSD. One of the enduring mysteries in the field of psychology is why the same event produces such different memories and responses in different people. Citing a report in the New England Journal of Medicine, the writer noted, the researchers surveyed more than 6,000 soldiers in the month before and after service in Iraq and Afghanistan, almost 17% of those who fought in Iraq reported symptoms of major depression, severe anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder, compared with 11% of the troops who served in Afghanistan. In World War II, post-war depression and anxiety was called battle fatigue. In World War I, we called it shell shock. The question isn't so much why it happens. We know GIs in war do and see horrific things. The question that perplexes us is why post-war anxiety and depression haunts some veterans and not others. Of course, some vets see harder combat than others, but even that doesn't account for the statistics. There are still huge variations among individual soldiers in how they respond to the same event. The same is true in the civilian world. Some people develop PTSD and others don't, facing the exact same circumstances. In order to understand why some people are still shocked months and even years after a traumatic event, it's necessary to first understand how the brain and mind processes trauma. The brain is a complex collection of deeply interconnected parts and processes. I'm vastly oversimplifying here for the purpose of description. And in light of those caveats, here's a possible scenario that's not inconsistent with much of what's known about brain function. There's a part of the limbic brain or visceral brain called the hippocampus that's believed to function as a one-day scratch pad for memory. Everything you experience throughout the day is stored in the hippocampus. In order for the impressions of the experience to become a long-term memory, they must pass through the hippocampus into the rest of the brain. People with a damaged hippocampus remember past events but have extreme difficulty learning new things. Although the rest of the brain is able to integrate recent information from the hippocampus in relation to stored memories, in order to understand that one thing happened a week ago and another thing happened a month ago, the hippocampus knows only one time, today. During the night as we sleep, the hippocampus dumps its information from the day into the rest of the brain for processing, sorting, storing, and disposing of irrelevant information. As the brain is processing the details of the day from the hippocampus, we experience what we call dreaming. Many sleep researchers are convinced that when we experience REM sleep, most of the events, including the traumas of our daily life, are processed. The processing of information management completed, when we wake up in the morning, the hippocampus is once again empty and ready to record another day. The problem emerges when the hippocampus is carrying information that's too much or too hot for the larger brain-slash-mind to handle. When a recent memory is too strong to be easily and unremarkably processed, it presents in our dream world as a nightmare. If that still doesn't download the information from the hippocampus, then the trauma either becomes buried in the subconscious, a process Freud referred to as repression, or it gets thrown back into the hippocampus the next morning. It's as if the brain says, whoa, that's too much for me to process in one evening. Please hang on to it for another day. When the person wakes up in the morning, the information is still there in the hippocampus, still remembered and known and felt as if it happened that same very day. The conjecture that the hippocampus knows little about the more distant past accounts for the unique feature of true PTSD that the person feels every day as if the past event happened today, or at least in the very recent past. The trauma is always front, center, new, fresh, and raw. The consequences can be psychologically and emotionally devastating. Every day is affected by a past event. The traumatic event never passes from now until then and is never processed and filed away in the memory banks where it loses the power to cause pain and problems on a daily basis. The impact of this on the mind and the emotions is staggering. 
Brain scans even demonstrate that before a PTSD event has been processed, the amygdala, a part of the brain responsible for strong emotional states, such as those involved with survival or the perception of a threat to survival, and the hippocampus are not functioning normally. The brain scan makes it possible to, in a way, see the effect of the stuck memory. After processing the memory, these parts of the brain usually return to normal functioning. One of the key concepts of many schools of psychology is that human beings are most functional when every part of the mind has access to all other parts. In particular, this functionality is a matter of having full access to positive resources, such as memories of times when we were successful in our undertakings and the good feelings we associate with those accomplishments. Working from this level of functionality, then, when we take on a new task, for example, we first remember times in the past when we attempted something similar and accomplished our goals. This functionality can be accessed in all endeavors, from embarking on a new love relationship to making your first public speaking engagement. Memories of past accomplishments and capabilities are stored in parts of the brain far from the amygdala and the hippocampus. The amygdala and hippocampus, part of our brain's most primary and primitive structures, lie deep in the brain. Thus, having a negative memory stuck deep in the hippocampus blocks the pain and fear associated with that memory from reaching and associating with positive memories and resource states, which are housed in more distant parts of the brain. So, in other words, if we don't get these traumatic memories out of the hippocampus, then everything coming in gets filtered through that and blocked having access to resource states that can help and heal us. So, the rest of the book is how to get that stuff out of the hippocampus. The book is Walking Your Blues Away. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. Steve in St. Genevieve, Missouri. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Hi. Yeah, I was just uh, reading some information out of one of the Spokane newspapers up there. And the man that was in Shinomish County, the man who, uh, the first U.S. citizen to get coronavirus, uh -huh. he made a full recovery. And they're saying that one of the factors are they gave him an experimental drug called remdesivir. Yeah, it's an, an antiviral, antiviral drug. drug. That's right. That uh, helps HIV patients block the virus from replicating in Correct. the body. Correct. So evidently there are some people out there that are smart uh, that uh, there are, are There are four it. different antiviral drugs that they're, that they're testing right now that I know of, and that's one of them. Another one is, the, uh, is Tamiflu. I, I, don't, I don't recall the actual chemical name of it, but the one that is used for flu. And then there are two others that I'm, I can't remember the names of and I'm not familiar with, but they all kind of end with VIR because they're antiviral drugs. And, you know, they're doing, you know, uh, tests where they're testing this one against that one. And, and not so much in the United States, but these tests are being conducted in China. They're being conducted in Europe. And, uh, you know, my guess is that within the next six months, we'll have a good handle on what antiviral drugs are actually effective against this coronavirus. This is actually being tested from the, the University of Washington. Good. School of medicine. Good. Well, you get, they've got to have a certain, I mean, if they're, they're probably, they must be using either tissue culture or an animal study then, because we don't have enough people infected with, with coronavirus in the United States to do a good test on, a, on an antiviral drug. But they certainly do in well, China. Uh, there's a lot of antiretrovirals out there. If you've been keeping track of uh, medication coming out of the uh, AIDS community. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, so there's a lot that they can actually work on to actually get something probably sooner rather than later. I agree, Steve, and, and it's one of the things that keeps me optimistic. Steve, thanks for the call. Fran in Florida, Mass. Massachusetts has a town called Florida. I didn't know that. Fran, what's up? Hi, Tom. Concerning the uh, filtering mass used for 
this coronavirus. I got mixed feelings on this. I heard a commenter uh, this morning. Basically, the basic math is like paper, and it really doesn't protect a person from getting the virus, but it does stop from spreading the virus when that's, they cough. That's and correct. If you're if you're going through an airport and you're um, and you're and you're looking at uh, and you see uh, mostly Japanese people, this is this is like a cultural thing in Japan. You you'll see Japanese people walking through an airport through an international airport. I saw it in San Francisco last week, um, walking through the airport and they're wearing face masks. They're not wearing the face mask because they're afraid of getting something. They're wearing the face mask because they have the symptoms of the common cold. They're, they've got a flu or a cold or something like that, but they have to be out in public. And so they wear the face mask so as not to spread it. It's a sign of respect to other people, and it's a good thing. And we should be, you know, we should have long ago adopted a similar thing in the United States. So, you know, a mask isn't going to be that effective at preventing you from getting the coronavirus, but it will prevent you from spreading it, which is an important thing. Fran, I got to run, but thank you for the call. You spot on. Well said, all that kind of stuff. I just want to touch on this after the break. Damon in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, Damon, what's up? How you doing? Uh, so I've been obsessed with this uh, coronavirus. Finally, uh, you're the first program. Anyway, get to the point where I caught. Um, Harvard did a study on this, and they said approximately 70% of the world will be infected. And then I was read up on some other sites, and basically based on what this other site I read, about 150 million people will die from the disease. But that's not the best part about it. More people actually die from panic. And you kind of mentioned yeah, and that's why I said, you know, just some simple stuff. This is not prepper weird stuff, you know. Have a couple of weeks worth of food in your house. You'll eat it eventually, right? You know, just the things that you would normally eat that will that will preserve well. Ask your doctor if you're taking a, pre a prescription that you have to take, blood pressure medication, asthma medication, something like that, you know, diabetes medication. Ask your doctor to write a prescription noting that you're, you're going to be traveling on vacation uh, over the next three months. Ask your doctor to write a prescription for a 90-day supply. Um, sometimes you have to pay for it out of pocket, but it's probably a good deal. But yeah, you're, you're right. So, you know, Harvard says that probably 70% of the world's population is going to be infected with this. And as I said earlier, this is going to be a major crisis. And this is not just an economic crisis and a healthcare crisis, but it's being made worse by Donald Trump telling lies because he thinks it's going to help him politically. And it's going to be made worse by the fact that we've got a healthcare system that has this for-profit component where, you know, it costs it costs money to get tests done. And then on top of that, you got the same problem that we have every year with cold and flu, which I talk about on this show, which is that because we are the only developed country in the world that does not have mandatory sick pay, you're going to have people coming down with symptoms. They think it's the common cold. It might be the coronavirus. And they're going to be the one who's bringing your plate of food to you in the restaurant because they can't take time off because they don't have paid sick you're pay. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Of all the countries in the world prepared for this coronavirus outbreak, the U.S. is the least prepared because of 40 years of Reaganomics. And welcome back. Jeremiah in Jersey City, Jersey, on New Jersey. Hey, Jeremiah, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. How's it going there, Tom Hartman? I'm actually in front of a class that's patiently waiting for me to 
finish my comment so I could get back to the class. Okay, hi to your class. He says hi, everybody. Say hi. Oh, how cool is that? that? Isn't that cool? Yeah. Well, this is my quick point, Tom. And this is as someone who was a medical tourist in Belarus the mm-hmm. past two summers. One thing I do not understand in the health care discussion is for anybody, whether they be Democrat, Republican, or what have you, says, oh, well, we can't afford that. We can't afford Medicare for all. Well, my response is, so you're okay with being at the bottom of the developed world? Right. You're just going to say, oh, we can't. Like if my kid needs a $25 stipend to afford school supplies, I'm just going to say, no, sorry, I don't have the $25. My kid will be at the bottom. Yep. You know, so if, if you don't have the resources, which we do, well, you better find them. We are the richest country in the world. We are the richest country in the world. We've got three men who own as much wealth as the bottom half of America. Uh, You know, all the arrogance to show for it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All the rah, rah, rah to show for it. So we say, oh, we're the greatest country in the world. Well, not in terms of health care, we're not. That's right. Not in terms of education. So first of all, we're not the greatest country in the world. Second of all, even if we were, you shouldn't brag about it and be rude. Well, I think that, you know, we were the first country in the modern era, you know, since since the Greeks and Romans that was founded on the idea that people can govern themselves. And that's still a pretty damn noble thing, although a lot of other countries have adopted those policies and they haven't been contaminated by these, uh, you know, right wing theories, uh, you know, the, the, the Milton Friedmanisms, the liberal, the libertarian stuff. And so, you know, they're better prepared. I mean, in South Korea, you know, when they discovered that there was this one woman in this church who had the coronavirus, they went in and they tested everybody who had gone to that church. And they found, you know, about 100 people who had the virus because she had been there at a potluck and passing food around to people and all these kind of things. Um, we don't even have the test kits for that. So, frankly, I am concerned that we're going to see this thing spread faster in the United States than we're seeing it spread in other countries because we are so unprepared for this as a consequence of all these years of these economic policies, which is, which is really tragic. And we really need to build a robust public health care system. I keep saying this is, this is national security as much as it is moral uh, appropriateness. So, Jeremiah, say, say hi to your class for me, and, uh, you know, I hope I didn't say anything I shouldn't have in front of all your little kids. No, not, a, not at all. I think the truth is okay, Tom. Okay. Good talking to you, Jeremiah. Thanks a lot. See you thank, later. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. Well, what a hoot. We're talking to a classroom full of kids. This is, you know, and I hope Jeremiah, I'm, I'm guessing he probably is, teaching civics to his kids. You know, we used to, used to be required. During the Eisenhower administration, they made civics required. And during the... During the Reagan administration, they said, oh, you don't have to do civics anymore. And now you've got people who don't know about three branches of government and don't know about balance of power and don't even understand the founding principles of the Enlightenment. They, they have no idea who, who John Locke was, for example. Um, frankly, many of them have no idea who Jefferson was, who took Locke's ideas and put them into the Declaration of Independence. And then, you know, uh, uh, Madison and Hamilton put them into the, into the Constitution. So anyhow, good on you, Jeremiah, and hi to your classroom. We'll be right back. Hey, did you know that Hillary Clinton actually won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Florida in the 2016 election? It's on page 92 of my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Marilyn in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Marilyn, what's on your mind today? 
Hi, a couple of things. I'll just give you bullet points. One, watch the economy when the schools are shut down indefinitely. I remember snow days with my two boys being a single mom, and it was hell. Number two, a cautionary tale about health insurance. My son was in the Marines for seven years. He separated, worked for the sheriff's department, he's a sheriff's deputy. The county had cut back on the health insurance plans. They had a bad year and ended up $10,000 in debt, in their co-pays and their deductibles. And wow. he's now in Afghanistan because he wanted his, he wanted his family to have decent health care so he could have the Humana TRICARE. So he, he became, um, so he's in Afghanistan. I mean, this was, you know, Thomas Jefferson said, I hope I shall never live to see the day when the young men of my country are willing to be shot at for a sixpence. That's where we're there at. There you go. That's where we're at. Um, the other thing about the coronavirus is it's looking more and more like, and I worked in infectious disease for 10 years, it's looking more and more like that the majority of these illnesses are asymptomatic or of the cold variety. They, they People think they like have a cold, cold, right? So what we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. Yes. This is disseminated already. Yes, I agree. Um, one I agree. last thought, and then I'll let you go. That young man or young woman who was diagnosed in Davis, California, he, he's lucky that he or she is lucky that he ended up at UC Davis Medical Center, because if he were in a um, rural hospital, it may not have get, been captured that he had corona, that he might have coronavirus, and they may not have had the ability or the know-how to contact the CDC and keep lobbying for a test kit. Right. Now, Marilyn, it says so, here that you're you're a nurse in Madison, yeah. Wisconsin. One of my best friends, uh, he, in fact, he's been a guest on this show. He's a dentist in Washington, D.C. And, mm -hmm. you know, he came on and did Ask the Dentist segment back when Obama was president and things were boring and we could have shows about things like that. But anyhow, I got an email from him a couple of days ago saying that, you know, as a dentist, he has to put a new mask on for every single new patient. So he goes through, you know, yeah. 20, 30 masks masks a day. Yep. And yep. he said that uh, he can't get masks anymore, that the company oh. in D.C. that was supplying the surgical masks to, to the dental practices was buying them yep. from China and they're no longer shipping yep. them out of China. Are you yep. hearing things like that? Out of them. They're out of them. They were also out of hand sanitizers. I called my pharmacist on Monday because it was percolating all weekend that I shouldn't just have 30 day refills on my two med prescription medications. He said, I don't know if I can get it. My distributor is having trouble getting these medications because they are Chinese. The other two places that um, supply most of our generic meds are India, which is dealing with COVID-19. Right. Plus, and Turkey, plus, plus India and Turkey get their raw materials from China. Forgive my interrupting, right. but that's the case. Right. So it's a, it's a cluster, you know what? And just from my little background as a nurse in infectious disease, this administration has done absolutely everything wrong on the checklist of response to a suspected pandemic. Yes. Everything. Yes. And they so shut down the systems that Obama put in place after the uh, outbreak of like, Ebola. Yeah. They've done absolutely everything wrong. Yeah. So look how well this is working out for everybody. One go. last thing, and then I'll let you go. Pretend that you have OCD. Wash your hands, even if you think you just did it and they, you don't need to wash your hands. I never got sick taking care of infectious disease patients because I washed my hands. And the other thing is, the, you know, the average person touches their face 20 times an hour. 
It's yep. just something yep. that people typically do. Start yep. getting OCD about that too, because yep. that's how you transmit. Yep. You, you touch a, a doorknob or you know an airplane seat or something, and then you touch your yep. your lips. You wipe a little yep. moisture off your nose, or you or you touch yep. the edges of your eyes, and boom, it's now inside your yep. body. Definitely, that's the only thing these masks are really good for for preventing spreading the disease to somebody else. If you've got an infection. And to keep your hands off your nose and your, right. your mouth. Right. Off. Yeah, if you have any symptoms, so. you should be wearing a mask. But wearing a mask is not going to prevent you from getting this disease. It's that's mostly correct. it's mostly that's through your hands. And uh, and that's why we all need to become OCD about that. Marilyn, thank you very yeah. much. It's great to hear from you. I appreciate the call. Charles in Miami. Hey, Charles, what's up? How are you doing, Tom? I love Good. the show. Thank um, you. I've been uh, watching the BBC, and I knew that this was a pandemic. And it bothered me that a couple of weeks ago that the WHO came out and said this is not a pandemic. To be honest with you, I just think they were being pressured. By they the have reversed themselves. The At that point, it was not on every continent. Now it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now my biggest concern is this, since that has even started. What Bernie is saying is Bernie is saying that we have millions of Americans that's running short. I don't think this this government. I don't think this particular administration has what it takes, the capabilities. We already know what Bush did with. Um, with Katrina, and we yeah. already know the Republican outlook as far as any type of pandemic. Well, we know what Trump did with Maria. 3,000 people died in Puerto Rico while Donald Trump was lying and saying it was only 15 people. I mean, you know, we, we, we've already seen this. So this is, this is something that the Democrats have to hop on, that Republicans, this is where they feel, because they treat everything like a business, even right. in an instance like this. And yeah. My thing is, uh, liberals need to stand up. Uh, progressives need to say, listen, yeah. this country has changed because you can, you can look at the groundswell and you can look at the momentum that Bernie has. Yeah. Business as usual isn't going to make it. Um, and Charles, forgive my interrupting, but I got five seconds here. You mentioned that there's you know 40 million people in the United States who have no health insurance whatsoever. What that means is there's 40 million people in the United States who, if they get the symptoms of coronavirus, are not going to go to the doctor, are not going to go to the hospital. And instead of just spreading it to the average 2.2 people, they're going to spread it to 20 or 30 people. And you're going to see a serious problem in this country because of our health care system being brought to you by for-profit health insurance company banksters and hospitals that are, that are turned into for-profit hustles. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman 
or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The stock market's now dropped below 10%, below its high, which means that it's officially in what stock traders would call a correction. And of course, a correction is something we've been anticipating for quite a while. The stock market has been higher than actual economic activity and, and company profits would justify, in large part because companies have been using their giant tax rebates to buy back their stock. But the thing that's driving this is concern about the coronavirus and its impact on the U.S. economy or on the economy all around the world. Because, I mean, you know, now you've got there are 150 different drugs sold in the United States that are exclusively manufactured in China, which is very concerning. We it's one of the reasons I suggested the other day that you talk to your doctor about getting a 90 day supply if you take an essential medication. The guy who doubled the price of insulin when he was at Eli Lilly, Alex Azar, he's now our head of health and human services because Trump always puts lobbyists in charge of everything, right? He was asked repeatedly before Congress, Jan Schakowsky was questioning him, when an, a vaccine is developed to deal with this, and of course large chunks of the funding for that are coming from your tax dollars and mine through the National Institutes of Health, when a vaccine is developed, can you guarantee us that it'll be affordable to everybody in the country? And he repeatedly said, no, he wouldn't. He didn't want to interfere with the so-called free market. 
Jan Schakowsky, she's in the House. She's a Democrat from Illinois and one of the best progressive Democrats out there. If you're in Jan Schakowsky's district, and I know many of you are listening to me right now, you are blessed. So she said, you know, are you going to keep the price of this vaccine that we are all helping to pay to develop through the National Institutes of Health, but will be manufactured and sold by one of these for-profit drug companies? Are you going to keep that price low enough that everybody can afford to get it? And Alex Azar said, and I quote, uh, we would want to ensure that we'd work to make it affordable, but we can't control that price because we need the private sector to invest. She gave Azar three chances. In fact, this is, these are Schakowsky's words. Uh, I gave Azar three chances to assure us that any coronavirus vaccines or treatments developed with U.S. taxpayer dollars would be affordable and accessible to anyone, everyone, and he flat out refused to do, to do so. He's giving Big Pharma a blank check to monopolize them instead. This is what happens when you put a Big Pharma CEO who doubled the price of insulin in charge of regulating Big Pharma which is that that last sentence was from uh, Social Security Works, Alex Lawson's group. I mean, this is pretty crazy. The guy who is the acting head of the Department of Homeland Security, which used to have before 2018, a division that looked at epidemiology and epidemic diseases, a position created by Barack Obama during his presidency uh, in response to the Ebola outbreak in Africa, that agency was shut down and the guy in charge of it was fired by Trump in 2018 because after all it was something Obama did. The Department of Homeland Security literally doesn't even have a division that deals with this kind of stuff any longer and Chad Wolf who was the acting head was before Congress and they said do you know what the fatality rate is from this coronavirus and he said well it appears to be a little uh, you know around two percent a little above two percent but we're guessing that it's actually lower than that because there's probably a lot of cases that are not being diagnosed which is accurate more or less and then they said so what's the mortality rate for the flu and he said it's about the same it's around two percent i'm sorry that's wrong the mortality rate for the flu is one tenth of one percent which means out of every thousand people who get the flu one will die but a 2% mortality rate for the coronavirus means out of every 100 people who get the coronavirus, two will die. Now just let that sink in. And the head of the Department of Homeland Security who's charged with protecting us doesn't know the difference between the flu and the coronavirus in public, you know, under oath testimony before Congress. You know, I think one of the reasons the markets are falling and if you were looking at the future markets, well, Donald Trump was giving his BS press conference, and they're all getting better, pretty soon we're going to have none. Right. This guy has told 16,000 documented lies, documented by the uh, Washington Post. The biggest lie that anybody could come up with, the one lie from the Barack Obama administration was, if you like your health insurance company, you can keep it. And that was true, by the way, of 97% of people who moved to Obamacare. So it's not really a lie. But, I mean, you know, the last lie that I remember a president telling in my lifetime that was a serious and consequential lie was when Lyndon Johnson said that we've been attacked in the Gulf of Tonkin. Or when George W. Bush and Dick Cheney said that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. But, you know, that was one lie for each. But, but here are the 16,000 lies, and now he's lying about the coronavirus. There are reasons that we need to be legitimately concerned about this. 
There are health reasons, but uh, more importantly, I think right now, there are political reasons. And I'm going to talk about both the politics and the health of this entire situation. This is why we need Medicare for all. Nancy Pelosi tweeted out the Trump budget guts nearly $700 million from the Centers for Disease Control. At the same time, Republicans in Washington are suing before the Supreme Court to end Obamacare so that if you get sick with coronavirus and you show up in the hospital and the doctor says, oh, you know, your lungs are in really bad shape, you shouldn't have been smoking, your health insurance company will be able to say, no, we're not going to pay for any of this. That's a pre-existing condition. If there ever was a case for Medicare for all, the way that Bernie Sanders is promoting it, with no deductibles, no co-pays, everything's covered like it is in every other developed country in the world, it's the coronavirus. And not only that, by the way, this guy in California tried to get tested. This is the Tom Hartman Program. He tried to get tested and they turned him down because the CDC guidelines said, we'll only test people who've been to China. Seriously. Tom Hartman program, the place where despair is not an option. American businesses realizing that Chinese businesses shut down, northern Italian businesses shutting down. This is starting to spread around the world. They're not even sure exactly how it's spreading in some places. The Dow is down. And it's exacerbated by the fact that pretty much all the investors know that the market is overbought to begin with, that stocks are way higher in price than they should be. They don't reflect the actual value of the stock market. But here we are in the United States. We do not have a national health care system. I mean, literally, we do not have a national health care system, unlike every other developed country in the world. And only three out of the 100 public health labs in the United States, public, you know, federally funded public health labs, only three are able to test for the COVID-19 virus, this Wuhan virus or coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. That's according to the Association of Public Health Libraries. And the tests cost 250 bucks a whack. What has Trump done about this? China has now uh, put 100 million citizens in lockdown, a huge national quarantine. They are building quarantine hospitals in days' time. How does the United States respond to this? A great article over at foreignpolicy.com by Lori Garrett, who's been a guest on this program. She wrote a book called The Coming Plague back, geez, 15 years ago. She basically predicted what we're looking at right now, and that book really deserves a revival. It was a brilliant book at the time. I read it. I'm pretty sure she wrote it even before we started our show. It might have been more like 20 years ago. It was quite a while ago. But uh, Lori Garrett has been on our program before, and she points out the Obama administration created a permanent epidemic monitoring command group inside the National Security Council, the White House uh, NSC, and another one, a redundant one, in the Department of Homeland Security, DHS. Both are now gone. Trump shut them down. In the spring of 2018, Laurie Garrett writes in foreignpolicy.com, in the spring of 2018, the White House pushed Congress to cut funding for Obama-era disease security programs, proposing to eliminate $252 million in previously committed resources for rebuilding health systems in Ebola, ravaged Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea. They reduced $15 billion in national health spending and cutting the global disease fighting operational budgets of the CDC, the NSC, the DHS, and HHS. The government's $30 million complex crises fund, which is how the government would respond to something like the Wuhan virus, starting to spread significantly in the United States. Trump eliminated that altogether. In May of 2018, Trump ordered the National Security Council's entire 
Global Health Security Unit to be shut down and called for the reassignment of Rear Admiral Timothy Zimmer, he was the guy in charge of it, and the dissolution of his team inside the agency. Neither the National Security Council epidemic team nor the DHS, Department of Health and Services, epidemic teams have been replaced. Trump fired them all. The global health section of the CDC was so drastically cut, Lori Garrett writes, in 2018 that much of its staff was laid off and the number of countries it was working in was reduced from 49 to merely 10. Meanwhile, throughout 2018, the U.S. Agency for International Development and its director, Mark Green, repeatedly came under fire from both the White House and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And those Congress has so far managed to block Trump administration plans to cut the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps by 40 percent. The disease-fighting cadres have steadily eroded as retiring officers are not being replaced by the Trump administration. What Trump has done basically is make it almost impossible for the federal government. He has dissolved the infrastructure within our federal government that could respond to an epidemic crisis. And he's done it in the name of, you know, we're Republicans, we hate the government. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? Ronald Reagan, in his inaugural address, I'm here to tell you that government is not the solution to your problems, it is the cause of your problems. This has been the Republican mantra since 1981 kill the government. And Trump has put this on steroids. He is killing our national security systems. He is killing our intelligence agencies. He's killing our Justice Department. And by killing, I'm literally, they're deconstructing these things. They're firing people. They moved all the scientists with the Environmental Protection Agency from Washington, D.C. to Kansas City, Missouri. Said, let's get them out in the boondocks. Half of them couldn't go. They had families in D.C. Oh, that's great. We get to lay off half of them. The Interior Department has been gutted that manages our parks and uh, our national parks and public lands. And basically, they're selling off and giving away public lands to logging and mining companies and drilling companies like, you know, for pennies on the dollar. This is the stuff that Reagan did in small form. James Watts, Reagan, Reagan's uh, Interior Secretary, when he was asked, why are you giving away public lands for pennies on the dollar to, for oil drilling? He said, because Jesus is going to return and make all things new. Honest to God, that was his response in the media. Trump isn't even using a rationalization. He's just, we hate government. Bannon said we're going to dismantle the administrative state. You're He's doing it. to the Tom Hartman program. And it's rolling on. And I'm telling you, you know, it's, it's a crime against democracy and against our country, what this president is doing. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Nancy in Minneapolis. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to AM 950. Hey. KTNF. Thanks, Tom. I was watching Michael Moore's Capitalism, A Love Story last night. Mm-hmm. And in that, he found some 9-11 rescuers who had lost their health insurance, couldn't afford money or couldn't afford anything. So he took them to Cuba. And they saw specialists, they had tests done, they got their medication, and one, one in particular, a woman who had been having respiratory problems needed an inhaler, which she was being charged in the United States over $100. She, it, she got it from Cuba for a few cents. It was like five, ten cents for right. an inhaler. Right. And she just wept. And I thought, People here are afraid of democratic socialism. Really? How, how do you like capitalism? Right. My God. Yes. Yes. Excellent hey. point. Like my my story okay. about Louise's uh, adventure, hour long adventure at the at the pharmacy this afternoon, or this morning. Um, yeah. Spot on, Nancy. Nancy, thanks you for sharing that story. That's a that's a great one. Eileen in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eileen, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to uh, bring up the fact of of um, Donald Trump. He never takes responsibility for anything bad. And right. with this coronavirus, I'm wondering if the reason he put Pence in there is because when it goes bad, or if it goes bad, he can stand back and say, hey, I did good. It's his fault. 
Well, let me extend that conspiracy theory, Eileen. I'll share with you my personal conspiracy theory, which I haven't you know, advertised in a big way on this show because it is just that. It's a conspiracy theory. But uh, I believe that Donald Trump wants Nikki Haley to be his running mate so that he can claim both gender and racial diversity. And Nikki Haley has uh, been a good soldier for Donald Trump, and she's been sucking up to Donald Trump in a, in a big way recently. And, but he's got to have an excuse to get rid of Mike Pence. And so if, uh, you know, uh, two months from now, you've got a couple hundred thousand coronavirus cases in the United States and we're overwhelmed, that gives Trump an opportunity to fire Pence, put an actual doctor in charge of the health emergency, and bring Nikki Haley into his administration and then r run for re-election on a, on a Trump-Haley ticket. I think that's an entirely plausible scenario. So I, I don't disagree with you. I think that it's probably this is the reason why Jared Kushner is not the one that he put in charge of it. You know, he puts Jared Kushner in charge of everything that's big. But Kushner probably took one look at this and said, no way you're going to put my name on that and uh, stick Mike Pence with it. So what do you think, Eileen? Yeah, I agree with you. I, he's looking for a scapegoat. You know, he's never going to admit if he did something wrong. And anything that seems to require maybe a possibility of going wrong, he's putting it off on somebody else. You bet. And who better? Yep, and he's been doing it his whole life. Eileen, thank you. Well said. Today we're reading The Shadow President, The Truth About Mike Pence by Michael D'Antonio. This is from the first chapter. For decades, Pence had presented himself as a humble servant who could be entrusted with power because he was at heart a mild-mannered Midwesterner. Friends and foes alike said his major character trait was extreme niceness. When given the opportunity, Pence described himself as a true Hoosier, son of Indiana, who was a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. This is how he had introduced himself to the country at the Republican National Convention six months earlier. The list contrasted with the usual pledge politicians make to put country first. This is what President Obama did after the 2016 election when he said, we are not Democrats first, we are not Republicans first, we are Americans first. The vice president's self-declared identity revealed both his priorities and the source of his power. For 30 years, he had helped lead the Republican Party into a closer alliance with preachers who were turning evangelical Christianity from a religion into a political crusade that engaged in a culture war with non-believers. The aim of many was to destroy abortion rights, roll back the equality gained by gay citizens, and prepare the nation for the second coming of Christ. Pence and others used martial metaphors and considered themselves warriors of the Christian right, both besieged and called upon to fight. Quote, those who would have us ignore the battle being fought over life, marriage, and religious liberty have forgotten the lessons of history, said Pence in 2010. America's darkest moments have come when economic arguments trumped moral principles. Pence's allies in his war included hugely wealthy donors who, despite their vast wealth accumulated at a time of historic inequality, also posed as victims. As libertarians in the mold of Ayn Rand's cardboard characters, they felt inhibited in the pursuit of even greater riches by a government that imposed foolish regulations and would redistribute their wealth to the supposedly indolent poor. Starting with this perspective, they denied the science behind environmental protection, demanded tax cuts for themselves, and insisted on massive reductions in programs serving anyone who wasn't rich. The victimhood claimed by both the libertarians and the Christian right permitted the construction of an alternative reality that denied their own power and masked their ambition to make politics and culture 
conform to an ideology that included white Christian supremacy and predatory capitalism. It also denied the progress they had made in their construction of their own political might. With his oath of office, Vice President Pence became both the free marketer's hero and the most successful Christian supremacist in American history. Most of Pence's life had been preparation for this moment, and possibly one more. His lifelong goal, set when he was a boy, was the Oval Office itself. Remarkably, he had reached this point by tying his fate to Donald J. Trump, a man whose immorality in the form of lying, cheating, and deceiving in every aspect of his life, from his marriage to his businesses, had made him a living exemplar of everything that Christianity and conservatism abhorred. However, this record also suggested that Pence was more likely to assume the highest office in the land than most vice presidents who had come before. To put it bluntly, Trump was vulnerable to impeachment. If this occurred, Pence would see the hand of God at work in his elevation to the presidency. In the meantime, he would wait and watch. On Inauguration Day, with Pence looking on, a slightly stooped Donald Trump stepped forward when it was his turn to face the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, John Roberts. Beside Trump stood his wife, Melania, the former fashion model, who held two Bibles, Lincoln's and Trump's own. At the stroke of noon, the president-elect raised his right hand and placed his left on the Bibles. As he did this, Trump's family members and hundreds of political and government figures strained to see the moment. Trump and Pence were a study in contrast. At age 58, Pence appeared trim, perhaps even athletic, and could have passed for a man 10 years younger. His jacket was neatly buttoned, his hands were clasped at his waist, and his smooth face was set in a half-smile. In sum, he resembled a small-town pastor, or maybe even a funeral director. Mere feet away, a stern-faced 70-year-old Trump stood with his coat hanging open like a caftan to reveal a long red necktie. Despite much cosmetic intervention, he looked old and tired. At the conclusion of the presidential oath, which had been voiced by 44 presidents before him, Trump said the words, so help me God, and accepted the congratulations of those closest to him with a thin-lipped, toothless grin. He then delivered a 15-minute speech replete with distortions and falsehoods that were his trademark. He declared that America was awash with crime and despair and under constant attack. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now, said Trump. It was the most remembered phrase of the address. That was some weird S-word, former President George W. Bush was heard to remark as he left the inaugural stand. Weird was the mildest word that one could attach to the 45th President of the United States as he launched an administration that would be stained by scandal and corruption so broad it defied a citizen's ability to grasp. Cronyism, secrecy, and nepotism would flourish. Presidential lies daily cataloged by the Washington Post and others would come at the rate of more than 150 per month. From the moment of his oath, Mike Pence, the vice president, faced the historic, some would say daunting, challenge of dealing with an erratic and undisciplined commander-in-chief. The book, The Shadow President, The Truth About Mike Pence. Rick in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, Rick, what's up? Yes, Tom. I was in Paris in November. I caught an upper respiratory condition and had trouble catching my breath. I was two days before flying back and didn't want to experience that on an airplane. I walked into a French pharmacy, explained it to the pharmacist. She gave me an inhaler for six euros. But it was about seven bucks U.S. Yes. So yeah. are Americans stupid? Yes. 
Well, we're not stupid. We're, we're misinformed and malinformed, and we are the victims of an enormous amount of very expensive uh, corporate propaganda, and our politicians are being bought and sold by these, by these same companies, and it's just, it's just that simple. So, uh, Amen. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot for the call. Mike in Medina, Illinois. Hey, Mike. Last minute of the show. Yeah, real quick, Tom. I just wanted to make one point that I wish the Democrats would bring up on the debate stage and hammer Donald Trump with this. Remember that job killing that was going to destroy the economy, Obamacare, that right. was just so horrible? Right. Right. Well, right. Ever since it passed in March of 2010, we have averaged 204,000 jobs per month. And the last four years of Obama's presidency, it was 217,000 jobs a month. Now, since then, since my statistics are from Department of Economic Research and from PolitiFact, mm -hmm. I double-checked it. Since Trump took over, we've dropped down to 189,000 per month on average. Now, yeah. that's as of September. Yeah, Trump is doing nowhere year, near as well uh, as Obama did in his last term, his last four years. He's just been riding the Obama wave, you know, and, and now it's starting to collapse under its own weight, you know, because of the Trump tax cuts. And, and of course, the Wuhan virus isn't helping. But this uh, bull market was ready for an end. I, we've been talking about this for two years on this show, Richard Wolf every week. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It needs you. We need you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. And share with your friends how to find progressive media. Tell somebody today. Thank you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. <laughs>